Welcome to our weekly devotional. This is Dr. Owen Anderson, and this week I wanted to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and also chapter 2, which is 1 through 22. And that's because I want us to see the uh, precious role that knowing God has in the life of the believer and how Peter develops that. I'm going to read, uh, read this with you and, and comment as we're going. So it's from Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us by righteousness, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the uh, precious faith is what we're going to be developing here. What is this precious faith? So he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that's a similar terminology that Jesus used in John chapter 17, verse 3, that eternal life is knowing God and Christ Jesus whom he sent. So what is the role of knowing God in Christ Jesus? And what about those who say they know him, but they don't live according to Christ's uh, path? What, what, how do we explain that? Then, then it seems like knowing God doesn't matter that much because they know God and it doesn't change them. Well, let's see if that's what it says. So grace and peace be multiplied to you as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So life and godliness come to us through the knowledge of him and of God. And, and that's what it says, right? Eternal life, life is knowing God. So what is this knowledge of God and how do we get it? That would seem to be very important for us to have so that we can have life and godliness. And it's uh, from him by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that there comes in the faith, understanding so that you can believe in promises that aren't yet fulfilled, but they will be fulfilled, and, and you're living according to those promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, some people misuse this. They, they speak too loosely, and they say, look, Peter's teaching you can become God. Well, partakers reminds us of being made in the image of God, and God has knowledge, holiness, and righteousness. And in our sinful condition, we don't. He summarizes that by the corruption that is in the world through lust. Lust isn't only sexual here, but lusting for things that are not actually good for us, but we think will satisfy us. So in our sinful condition, we don't have knowledge, holiness, and righteousness. But through redemption, we can have knowledge of God and, and the holiness that produces and the righteousness which is a way of saying we can partake in the divine nature, but God always has those eternally, infinitely, unchangeably. We always have those finitely, temporally, changeably. So we never become God, but we are made in the image of God. Now he says this, uh, for this very reason, so he's, he, he tells us he's building on a previous argument here. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, that understanding of these promises, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. So virtue is a kind of means here. Uh, virtuous life, aiming at knowledge, and that knowledge allows us to have self-control. And self-control allows us to persevere through suffering and trials that we're told will come for the believer. That's the faith proving itself. And to that perseverance, godliness. Godliness here, a kind of uh, holiness, a reverence to holiness, the love of what God loves, and uh, the love of what is good. 
and to godliness, brotherly kindness. Uh, being able to be kind to others in their suffering, in their frailty, the weakness of the human condition. But that is leading to this next one, the final one here, love. Like Paul, love here comes at the end. We're building up to it. And in love, we love the other in that we want what is good for them. And what is good for them? Well, eternal life. What is good for them is that they might know God and Christ Jesus whom he sent. So here we have a kind of an interesting list that builds up towards being able to love others. And the person who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sin. So we're getting to that preciousness of the knowledge of God, but we're also going to be introduced now to a person who forgets these things and he's struggling with sin still. So we're going to look at him in chapter 2 especially. Now the word therefore tells us he's drawn a conclusion. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. And that word uh, has come up here too. Diligent, faithfully working, hard working to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So now just like people speak loosely about becoming God, they speak loosely here and say, look, he's saying you work you work diligently to become an elect, uh, to prove that you're elect, and, and uh, so you have an entrance in the kingdom of God. And, of course, that would contradict other things that we know to be true, both in general and special revelation, so that can't be what it means here. Um, a person, from, from our personal perspective, we, someone says to us, I'm a believer. And I guess we take them at their word for it, but we look at their life to see, is that true? Someone could fool themselves. They could say they're a believer, and they're not. None other, nothing in their life is the life of a believer. Uh, and that could even be true of ourselves. We, we might say, I'm a Christian, and we don't live like it at all. We don't know God at all. And so that's the sense in which you're making it sure. Not that you have control over regeneration, but does the, does the, does the profession match up to the reality of your life? So then we're going to get now to chapter 2. I wanted to contrast this with these, uh, these, these uh, false prophets among the people who are going to teach the opposite of the knowledge of God. And we should expect that. And in fact, they'll be very easily turning those who don't know God. They'll bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. That could come in some nuanced ways, like it's Jesus plus works or something. Not simply somehow that we're, we're Christians, but we don't believe in Jesus at all, or Jesus is not the eternal son of God. And many will be persuaded by this. And because of that, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The, the divisions that come up and, and the destructiveness of those kinds of teachings makes people say, I guess we just can't know the truth. No one knows. It's just a bunch of different views. But then we come back to this idea of covetousness, just like we had lust. They will exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So we wouldn't want to be in that group. Okay, but so how do we understand this? So he says, uh, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them in a change of darkness to preserve for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. So, so he uses two examples here. We don't have to get into some kind of weird mystery religion in this stuff and think that he's quoting uh, uh, from something like the Book of Enoch, and we don't have to... Uh, think anything other than what he says, which is there are angels who did sin 
and they have consequences. If they have consequences, or the whole world had consequences, or Sodom had consequences, won't these false teachers also suffer judgment? So he recounts that history. That's more than what we have time to go into right now, besides that point. But what about um, these false teachers? Do they know God? Well, I'm going to suggest this, that they know of God, but they don't know God. And an example is Balaam. He seems, if you read his story, he seems to speak about God as if he knows God. But uh, he, he doesn't actually follow God. So he hasn't been transformed by knowledge, holiness, and righteousness. Sometimes people speak as if you could have knowledge, but not holiness and righteousness, rather than seeing how they come together. And the solution to that is this idea that, yeah, you have a knowledge of God. I, I know what they teach. And, I, and you might even believe some of it, but then you have other mixtures of false beliefs with it. And that mixture causes you to be one of the false teachers. So here, when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh. He mentioned that earlier. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So it's a special promise of liberty. Do what you want is the whole of the law. You'll have liberty if you follow this heretical teaching, whichever one it is. Uh, but they actually become slaves in that process to corruption and go back into bondage. For, now this is what is building up to, for if we've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, after that we've done that, but then they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. All right, so is this someone who knew God, savingly, and then turns away from it? Uh, well, it, since, since regeneration is an act of the Holy Spirit, we can't either do that to ourselves or undo that. And since in sin you can't know God without that work in your life, this can't be referring to that. But it's referring to someone who's been presented with the gospel, and they've come to know what the gospel's all about. So they could say, oh yeah, I know the gospel. In that sense of, I know about it. But they reject it and turn back to the world. Their situation's worse because now they not only are in the world, which is not a good condition, but they've heard the truth and rejected it, not lived that way. It's a double problem for them. It would be better if they had not even heard. So you can have different levels of judgment. Someone who's heard more, has had more light, will be judged more. They should know this is true. It's happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to wallowing in her own mire. So these aren't persons who know God, who have eternal life, even though they might know all about teachings about God, they just don't believe that they're true. They believe all about, they've heard all about the teachings of the gospel, they just don't believe it's true. So we, that, that should work kind of fear of God in us. So that we want to make our call on election sure and say, wow, am I, Am I really living in the way I profess to be living? I wouldn't want to become like one of those. And, and Peter gives us this great list here that we can look at and focus on as we grow in that knowledge of God, uh, which, which gives us that life and godliness. So thank you for joining me this week on our uh, weekly devotion.